Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. My name is Darius Cook, as always. Let's get into it, guys. This is what we do here. I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen to me talk about that show, and you love it. You love it so much, you can't wait for another episode. Today, we are talking about Netflix's hit animated series, Arcane. This show is based off of League of Legends, a very popular video game. No doubt you've definitely heard of it. And today we're going to be going over Act 1 and Act 2. Act 3 has not been released yet, but we'll definitely get into that as soon as it is. And I have a new intro for you guys. Let me know what you think. This intro is made by Sam Nee. You can check him out on Spotify, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, all that great stuff. He's a great musician and you're definitely going to know his name soon enough. So why not know him now? Uh, And if you guys have any feedback for the episode, I'll drop this at the end as well, but I would really like you to reach out to me. My email is thedshowpod at gmail.com. That's thedshowpod at gmail.com. T-H-E-D-S-H-O-W pod, P-O-D at gmail.com. So yeah, let me know what you guys think. Let's get into the episode. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. All right, as I mentioned, Arcane is a Netflix animated series based off of the lore previously established in the famous video game League of Legends. The show builds on the lore and provides backstories to some of our favorite heroes. In a very Game of Thrones fashion, we get introduced to a huge world and follow multiple groups as they navigate their goals in overlapping ways. In this episode, I plan on having two different discussions, one involving Act 1 and one following Act 2. This is because that is how Netflix released this show. It's quite a unique release strategy that I haven't quite seen yet. Uh, It's kind of a mix between binging a show and waiting for episodes to come out week by week. I personally actually prefer the uh, week-to-week strategy of, let's say, an HBO series like Game of Thrones, where you get that, ep- that new episode every Sunday. I love the conversation that builds in between episodes, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't also enjoy binging a show and letting it be all I'm watching. So releasing episodes three episodes at a time, week-to-week, is actually a really interesting structure. I think that that's one that I could really get into. But as we jump into Act 1 here, the backdrop for our main plot happens in in one region that's divided into two divisions. That is Piltover, which is the above-ground utopian society that thrives on progress, science, and innovation. And what's just underneath there, the underground underbelly of that city, is referred to as Zahn, which is a very impoverished area, very hard-knuckle. Everyone there is tough as nails and kind of into crime and whatnot, but it's clear that their relationship is directly related to the thriving society of Piltover above. This struggle between these two societies that are directly related is the main struggle that we're getting here in at least the first two acts. I have a suspicion that the world will begin to build out a little more because there has been references to you know, other regions and other uh, lands around, but we just haven't really seen those yet. So I'm sure there's a lot more going on. There's like imports and exports and whatnot. But for the purposes of our discussion today, we're going to be talking about Piltover and Zahn. Although the region of the world that our story takes place has been divided into two factions, 
I would argue that there's actually four or five factions at play here. There's Within the two factions, there are different groups that have different goals going on, which, of course, always leads to some rich storytelling. But the one that we're first introduced to is a little ragtag group of, let's say, Robin Hood-type characters that were born and raised in Zaun in the impoverished underground community. And none of them have parents. They've kind of banded together as a found family-type situation. And it opens up to them in the middle of a heist. They're infiltrating Piltover, somebody's lab, and they got a tip off essentially that uh, there's some goods here for them to get. And while they're on the heist, we see their group dynamic. It's led by Vi, and there's a couple of goons with her that happen to be her best friends that are both very capable. They're very good at doing their heist work, um, but they are certainly the followers of the situation. And they all have a heart of gold, I noticed as well. Even though these characters are shown to be doing crime, quote-unquote, it's clear that it is more of a uh, Robin Hood situation, that they're doing the best they can to help their community thrive because their community has been taken advantage of and taken from from Piltover over all this time. The fourth member of this family is named Powder. And in the, even in episode one, it's clear that the overall dynamic between Vi and Powder is going to act as the emotional center of the series. They have a very strong uh, older sister, younger sister type dynamic. We haven't seen the origins of these characters in earnest. We know that their parents are all dead and they're dead due to actions from Piltover. But what we haven't seen is when these characters met each other or, or where Powder was found or anything like that. That being said, uh, the writing is clear on the wall that Powder experienced some intense level of trauma because she has attached so aggressively to Vi as that role model for her. And it's clear that she can't even function without her. She gets her self-esteem from Vi and her basically motivation to move forward at this point. And it should be noted that Powder's character is probably around 12 years old, maybe, whereas the rest of the team is somewhere cleanly between 16 and 20, let's say. Like any good heist, their plan goes awry, and the team barely makes it out. Of course, not without Powder picking up a mysterious collection of blue crystals that are just oozing with power and plot. (laughs) You know that there's going to be some major events surrounding these crystals, whatever whatever they might do. As the team is exiting their heist situation, Uh, One of those crystal balls accidentally causes a huge explosion, and it it just causes pure chaos for everyone, uh, which is certainly uh, foreshadowing other events to happen down the line here. Pretty quickly after this, we get introduced to a a character named Vander. Vander is the character who most, in Act 1, steals the show. I mean, he has the audience's heart 100%. He is the leader of Zahn, so he kind of runs this entire underground society. Uh, Even though he is the leader of what can be referred to as a criminal society, he himself is the most morally just person we're introduced to in the series. You can tell that he has had his moments of questionable morality and has been involved with war his entire life, dealing with this struggle, this class struggle. But at this point in his life, he just wants what's best for everyone around him. He is the de- the de facto father for our four children and pr- seemingly everyone else in this society as well. And kind of what he says goes. He's the end-all, be-all. So 
he he's kind of our moral guiding compass in this series, if you will. Along with the introduction of the character of Vander, we also get introduced to what is the major the major conversation, the major conflict that's being discussed in Act One, which is we which is the question of should we fight against Piltover? This is from the point of view of the citizens of Zon, of course, and you can see that people are split on this. It seems like uh, a majority, especially of the young people of Zon, feel that they need to start fighting back against Piltover. They need to take back what's theirs. They feel that it's time that they get their justice or else they'll continue to be walked over and taken advantage of. Vander's response to this is not what you might think it would be. He thinks, he doesn't honestly provide any solution other than he says, I'll take care of it. I will fix this. But what he doesn't do is give an actual answer. When people say, what are we going to do? Are we just going to let them continue to take advantage of us? He says, I'll take care of it, which is not a satisfying answer. Uh, I, as much as I love Vander and I love that he isn't inciting violence, he wants to keep everyone safe. He doesn't want people to go out and fight and risk their lives for no reason. He also isn't giving us a better answer. And I, I really hope that the show finds a better answer. If there is a clear message here, I'm not sure where they would land on that. At this point, I don't know what the answer for peace is. Another character we get introduced to at this point is the flip side of Xander. Now, you would think that the flip side of Xander would be a citizen of Piltover since those societies are diametrically opposed. But the flip side of him is actually another person of notoriety within the underbelly of Piltover in Zahn here. His name is Silco. Silco, the second you look at him, he gives you creepy vibes. He, I believe, will be the true villain of the series. He's missing an eye and Honestly, he gives me energy of Scar. So if you were to make the comparison, uh, Xander would be Mufasa of Zahn and Silco would be Scar, someone who wants the leadership role for himself and has more nefarious plots and wants to kind of take it from him. So, so, so keep that in mind because I think that those serve as very accurate roles moving forward here. This is a good point to shift the focus a little bit over into the Piltover side of things. The show makes a point to never linger too long in one side of the narrative. They jump back and forth constantly. So you get a, a full a full experience of what's really happening between the two struggles here. Over in Piltover, the person whose point of view we get the most is a young and upcoming scholar named Jace. Jace is actually the person who had the lab that was broken into by a ragtag team before. And he's the one doing research on these crystally blue balls that have all this power. And in, in these few episodes, you're seeing Jace come to the realization that he can harness this power to introduce magic into the world. Previous to this point, magic is a concept that exists in this world, but it's looked at as, as a little taboo or something that you just don't mess with because of the potential consequences. But it's Jace here who figures out that there is a way to at least seemingly safely harness this power and use it for some purpose. Quickly, the council, which acts as kind of the presidency of the society, the council is built up of, I think, eight people that kind of make, they vote democratically to make all the decisions for the utopia of Piltover. Uh, quickly, they get involved and they, they come very, they scrutinize Jace's research because of the potential harm. And they uh, pretty quickly shut it down. 
That being said, uh, in that same episode, we get introduced to a character named Victor who pairs off with Jace and they continue their studies uh, secretively. And together they come up with a way to prove to the council that there is a safe way to harness this power. That is pretty much the short and long of that plot as it pertains in the first three episodes. The plot with Jace and the council over in Piltover really does take its time, and I do appreciate that. But even though it takes its time, it doesn't necessarily have that many major checkpoints, at least not at this point in the first three episodes. It's, it can be definitely looked at as a B-plot that's slowly building in the background, even though they do give a lot of light and attention to the character, Jace, I think it's just to really make sure the audience knows that this character is not someone who's coming from any malicious intent. His goal is truly just innovation and progress, and he sees this as a new and exciting opportunity for growth. Now, other people, especially on the council, might be looking at this as something to fear or something to take advantage of, something Piltover is very well known for. So that, that's something that'll build certainly in the next chapter of the series, but in just these first three episodes, it's a pretty simple story here. All right, let's jump right back over into what's going on with Zahn as we close out the act one into episode three. One thing that happens is Vander is taken by the guards of Piltover. Essentially, they the guards are looking for the ragtag group because of the crime that they pulled off over in Piltover or at least the attempted crime that they ha- that they had. Uh, and basically, Vander offers himself up as a sacrifice, so that way none of his adopted children will have to go and be killed or become prisoners, essentially. And that is what marks the inciting incident that builds into the huge plot that we end with with episode three here. Before I break that down, I do want to note that it can't be ignored that all of these events are Powder's fault, Uh, She is the reason that the heist went wrong and her taking the blue powerful crystals are the reason why the guards are even looking for someone to blame in the first place. And it's the reason why Vander gets taken away. Um, So that is a very, uh, it's a very sad reckoning to come to terms with. Although Vander ends up getting taken away, you end up finding out that Silco is really behind it. And Silco is kind of this dark Frankenstein type scientist who has developed some technology that when you inject people with this serum, they become monsters, essentially. And it's clear that he's he's hoping to weaponize this type of energy to take back Piltover, essentially. And because his goals don't align with, with Xander's, he is basically taking Xander off the table. He wants him out of the picture so that he can run Zahn and make these decisions for himself. But yeah, so Xander is taken away, and so it's up to our ragtag group of heroes to go get him back, right? We got to go get our dad back. Um, as they're ge- gearing up to go save Xander, they're letting they're telling Powder, you have to stay behind. This is going to be too dangerous for you. And of course, Powder, Powder doesn't have the emotional uh, language to handle this, really. She is just a young girl who's dealt with endless amounts of trauma and just wants to prove that she can be uh, of value to this team. Uh, even though the way that they tend to look at her is that she just always gets in the way. Uh, Of course, the only one who doesn't look at her this way is Vi. Uh, Vi still believes in her. She knows that she's capable of greatness at this point. And so Powder gets left behind, and there is a very emotional scene where Powder is just basically freaking out about the situation. She's crying, and she's getting essentially hysterical about the fact that she has to stay behind and 
and not go and help. And it's like it's similar to a child throwing a fit, uh, but it's met with this teenage angst of uh, she's grabbing her face. She's kicking the wall. She's breaking her own items. It's it feels very undoing to her sanity. And I can kind of relate to this situation especially when I was you know, younger, between 10 and 13, and I really didn't know how to deal with my emotions when I got really angry. This is similar to the type of fits that I would kind of throw. Moving along here, guys, let's just jump straight to it. Uh, our team does catch up with Xander, and they're pretty close to getting him out, but that's when they're all confronted by Silco. And this is where you see that Silco is a villain outright. And Silco essentially has a, a gang of goons that he sends to to kill the children and it's it's here when we see that Vi is the most capable fighter perhaps on this entire series she is one by one taking out all these goons people who are twice her age have twice the experience have probably killed people and here she is probably 16 17 year old uh just going going to blows with them and taking them out one by one essentially what she's doing here is buying time and the tension is building over time because Meanwhile, her two her two buddies are working on getting Vander free and finding themselves an escape route. And the tension is really building over the course of what feels like five to ten minutes. This scene really takes its time uh, as the tension builds and you see it slowly building and building and you don't know how we're going to get out of this situation. Zoom out a little bit and you see that Powder is also present. Powder is just a short distance away and she, she doesn't know how she's going to help, but she wants to help. She has been known for making these trinkets and bombs before. That's kind of her that's kind of her niche as it pertains to this world. And she infuses that with one of the blue crystals that she got and sends it in to help them. In Powder's defense of what the events happen after here, in her defense, I I think that if she hadn't intervened, that everyone there present would have died. Soko had already juiced up one of his henchmen and that person became a monster. And the overwhelming strength of that monster certainly would have done them in. There was maybe a .001 chance that they could have gotten out, but really I don't see how they would have. Um, so she sends in her bomb and a huge explosion happens. And this is really the true, the true most, the truest heartbreak that happens here. Uh, we get a really slow motion scene of just gore and violence as all of our characters that we've gotten to know over the course of the last couple episodes all die they all crumble under the rubble of what this huge explosion is uh our two our two buddies that we've really gotten our time to the show has really taken their time for us to get to know we watch them slowly get crushed in a very heartbreaking scene you see a pole go right through a character and you almost can't believe that they're killing off this character so quick i know that i've already compared the show to game of thrones in a couple instances here but the way that they pull the rug from under you and kill off somebody who you thought is going to be like a main character in the series was very shocking. The only people to survive the blast is Vi and Xander and Xander really just barely survived the crash. He's still on his last leg, but it is, it, it, it can be said that due to powders in, due to powders involvement in the scenario, many people lost their lives. And that is a harsh reality that the character will wrestle with throughout the series. After the, death, after the dust settles and all is said and done, uh, Vi sees the little trinket that created the bomb explosion, and she knows right away that Powder had something to do with this. And once they come face to face, there is such this is 
another heartbreak followed by when we just got our harp stomped on, we get another one right away. And, and powder, you know, says to Vi, she says, Hey, look, I did it. I helped. I helped you guys. And she just looks at her in a moment of disgust and betrayal and just says, you did this. All of this is because of you. And what follows is, is what feels like pure rejection. You know, Vi can't even barely look at Powder at this point. Powder just killed essentially her father and her two brothers. And this is her younger sister who just did this. And she seems happy about it. And we see, we see Powder break down again. And <laughs> I keep using this word heartbreaking. But guys, I have no heart left after this scene. She falls to her knees as Vi is walking away. And she's just yelling, please, no, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I need you. I need you. Don't leave me, please. Uh, the trauma here is just all over the place with Powder. I mean, this is someone who has had no family and learn to have a found family in Vi specifically. And throughout the first three episodes, Vi tells her over and over again, family never leaves each other. We'll never leave each other behind. But as Powder is there on her knees wailing, Vi is walking away. And what the only thing I can think of is Vander's last words, which is, look over Powder. And this is, this is only one moment, one moment of weakness for Vi where she looks the other way. And that's when Silco, a true villain, comes in for the swoop. And he essentially takes takes her in. Similar to something Scar would do for Simba. You know, he wants to be the de facto father figure for him. You know, thus giving him that power. That Silco swoops in and gets himself a new uh, henchman, essentially. And that is the sour note that the show ends us off with for Act 1. For the first three episodes, then we have to wait a full other week to see what happens next. Uh, quick thoughts on the, re- on the on this first act, guys. I really liked it. They really bait and switched me. They really had me fall in love with these characters just to take them away. Vander, Vi, and Powder, and Jace are really the standouts of this first act. Uh, they continue to be, honestly, uh, except for Vander, of course, because he does tragically pass away here. But those characters made such a strong impression on me. I, I know that Vander is dead now, but I still hope that he somehow makes it back into the fold because he, is, he just has such a strong impression. All right, so let's pick up right in Act 2. Episode 4 picks up, and we immediately see that there is a huge time skip. This is not what I expected from the series, but I think it's actually a great choice. Uh, I believe the time skip is somewhere between, let's say, four and six years, right? Uh, I'm you though the way I get that is powder specifically looks like she goes from being 12 to 13 to maybe 17 18 after the time skip I could be wrong about that but it's a little unclear what I'm just gonna I'm gonna talk about the elephant in the room here guys Silco adopts powder he becomes her new father essentially and raises her in his image and powder makes a full-on transformation from powder to jinx which uh, has echoes of the hurtful words that Vi said to her in, in their final scene, uh, calling her a jinx, that she is the reason that all these bad things happen. And, uh, you know, Powder and all her trauma, she just mixes that up and lets that become her new identity, essentially. And in, in episode four, she is literally the most terrifying character in the plot at the moment of all of the big bads that we see, all the geniuses, all the people with powers and whatnot, she is the most terrifying one to me. She is channeling the energy of Harley Quinn, Joker, and honestly, I think she's doing it even better than either of those characters ever came across, at least in the movies and TV shows that I've been exposed to them in. 
she has shown herself to not only be a proper successor slash little sister of V of Vi, excuse me. Like she's just as capable as as Vi is because she was kind of raised by Vi. But now she has this kind of chaotic, chaotic, I will do anything, I will kill anyone energy about her. And even in episode four here, the introduction to act three, excuse me, act two, we see her actually kill people. I mean, this is not someone who's towing the line of being potentially uh, dangerous, potentially evil. She is literally killing people. Now, her sanity uh, is in question at this point because she is literally seeing people. She sees ghosts. We see her talking to herself. So there is a discussion to be had for how much can you blame her. But some of the actions that Jinx now takes, no longer powder, that some of the actions that Jinx takes are kind of irredeemable, which is upsetting because I still want to root for her. After this time skip, we also see that v ha- Vi has essentially been in prison this entire time. Uh, that is why she has not made any attempt to try and figure out where Powder now Jinx. I'm going to be calling her Jinx from now on, guys. That is her name. Uh, she That's why she hasn't gone to retrieve her. And I'm sure from Jinx's perspective, she feels like her sister really did just leave her. She doesn't have that family anymore. She rejected her completely. So with no, with truly nobody in her life, I definitely can see why Powder took this dark turn. She essentially is just looking for family and community. She just wants someone to tell her that she's okay. She doesn't care about the morality of what she's doing. She just needs to feel loved, essentially. And when she was getting that love from somebody who told her to do the right things, that was all nice. But now that she has a more nefarious person kind of filling her ego... And that's the only person in her life. That's that's just what she does. In this time, uh, let's jump back over to the Piltover side of things and our character Jace, the young up-and-coming uh, scientist. In this time, his research has been embraced by Piltover altogether, and he's harnessed the energy in the blue crystal balls to make vast advancements on their society. They now have uh, what's essentially a teleportation system for... Uh, major exports and imports and travel between uh, different countries, seemingly. And uh, amongst other things, they've really incorporated his technology, as, as referred to as Hextech, into their society at large. In the next couple episodes, he actually gets promoted to being a part of the council, which is no small feat. I mean, of the world that we've seen so far, this is kind of the highest status that you can get to in terms of decision-making and overall power. So significant uh, strides are being made with this character. One thing that should be noted is he's been paired off with another member of the council. I don't remember her name at the moment, but she is a female character that they share all their scenes together. And there's a small romance budding between the two of them, but what really is happening is she's kind of whispering in his ear. Again, another Game of Thrones uh, comparison. This is similar to characters we've seen in that show that uh, latch on to somebody who represents power and can instill inspiration to other people and kind of use him as your pawn to get your goals. We haven't seen anything from this female character that implies that she's outright evil, although she is kind of controlling him like a puppet. And I can only assume that this is going to lead to some uh, destruction down the road. And again, even in this act, even though the pacing is picking up a little bit for the plot of Jason Piltover and his technology, it still really is taking its time. And that is something I appreciate. 
often over in Vaughn, the pacing is very da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then when we switch over to Piltover, it's nice to get a little bit of a slower pace to kind of sit with the characters and like marinate with what you kind of just saw, you know? The next big conversation that comes into the fray with our character, Jace, is him and Victor have essentially figured out how to incorporate the hex tech into technology, excuse me, not just technology, but weapons and things that can very quickly become weapons. And we start to realize that they can even potentially extend lives of people using this technology. And that's when you really start to get this, this conversation of man versus technology slash like, where, where does it become too far? Jace is someone who, who is morally uh, sound in my opinion even though he listens to the opinions of other people around him a, a little bit too much, and that's what maybe puts him off the off the street a little bit. But it, it is it is truly an interesting conversation where you know you're introducing technology that is going to lead to competition. It's going to lead to jealousy and putting potentially dangerous power into common people's hands. But what its potential for greatness can't be ignored as well. And, and that's why he kind of chooses to go forward with this with a bit of optimistic, um, excuse me, with a bit of pessimism involved as well. But by episode six and the conclusion of our second act, we see Jace fully lean into trying to take this technology and this magic and full throttle with it and see what it can really do. No holds bar anymore. One thing I really want to dive into here is the relationship between Jinx and Silco, his, her new devious found father type figure in her life. There's a weird scene where he essentially, you know, she's talking about her past. She brings up her sister and you can see there's still some lingering emotions from that whole situation. And he essentially, the, 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 the animation here is really crazy. He essentially baptizes Jinx and tells her you know you need to let the old self die let powder die so that jinx can truly be born and truly thrive in this world and he literally dunks her head underwater just like a baptism i mean the metaphor here is is clear to see um her character is really stuck between two places because it's at this point that she starts to suspect that vi might be alive she's been under the assumption that she's either just left her or has been dead all this time but now she starts to realize, you know, she she's she's a smart girl and she starts to realize what's going on here. So later on in that episode, we see her break out on her own and she sets off this flare. And this flare, I didn't mention this in the conversation in the first act, but it was given to her by Vi before they had their falling out, obviously. And Vi said, if you light this flare, wherever you are, I will find you. And here we are five years later or wherever we're at. And she lights it off and... You know, she lights the flare, and just as that flare starts to die out, uh, Vi approaches. And it's impressive that Vi was able to even catch up with her this quickly. And this is the first honest conversation they're able to have after all these years, after that emotional interaction that they had. And Vi does her best to really explain to her, like, hey, I did not abandon you. I've been locked up. I've been looking for you. Like, please come home. I love you type of conversation. And their conversation gets cut short because Caitlin enters the scene and, uh, of course, Jinx jumps to conclusions in her manic state and feels like she's being essentially cornered. And that same emotion of feeling betrayed comes back up and then we see her act out once again. 
these characters end on a very vague scene where they end up just having to be separated again. And we're not clear where Jinx stands going into Act 3. We don't know where how she feels about Vi anymore. What we do know is that she must be mad at Silco because, you know, she paints a liar all over his office room. So we know that at the very least, coming into Act 3, there's going to be some animosity from Jinx coming towards Silco. What isn't clear yet is, does that mean she's going to break away from Silco? Is she just going to be upset at him? Knowing Silco as the manipulative, capable character we've seen him to be, I'm sure that he's going to be able to navigate it and spin the tail a little bit as he was just trying to protect her, you know. So I'm, I'm very interested to see where the character Jinx stands coming into Act 3. She's a complete mystery to me. And if she is going to continue to be at odds with Vi, that is going to lead to some great action scenes, but also some heartbreaking interactions. Other questions I have going into Act 3 are... Is Vi going to start to gain some kind of control back in Zon? Uh, you know, we've seen that she is just uh, essentially an imprint of Vander in all way, in all senses of the form. I mean, she acts like Vander. She has a similar moral ground as Vander. And she's just as tough, to be fair. So I would like to see her maybe start to regain some power in this underbelly world now that she's back into it. I'm also really curious to see where Jace's character goes. Uh, at the end of Act 2, we've seen him act differently than he ever has. He's really starting to embrace his leadership role. And he it seems like he, for the first time, believes that he is this inspirational figure like everyone else does. And before, he's approached it from a very humble point of view, and he's still been a very approachable character. But now his ego is starting to grow a little bit. And I, I'm interested to see where he goes now that he feels a little bit more firm in his footing. Something I mentioned at the very top of this discussion is that this that we're dealing with the with the struggle between Piltover and Zahn. But that being said, the most interesting conflict at the moment is between Powder and Vi, or Silco and Vi, or really all the characters that are in Zahn. It's to the show's credit that it masks itself as, you know, this is the main conflict happening here. But the more rich conflict that's happening is within these divisions. Uh, the conflict between Jace and the other counselors and, and whatnot. I'm interested to see is in Act 3, is there enough time to to work through these plots and then get to the greater plot of Piltover and Zahn? Or, is, or, or are these factions going to continue to undo themselves within? I would like to see Zahn get on a united front, but the only way for that to happen, in my opinion, is for Silco to fully take over all of Zahn and have full control of it and, you know, wage war. Or perhaps we'll see Silco fall at the hands of Vi and Vi will take control. I'm really interested to see where it goes. But yeah, that is going to bring our discussion to a close. This show has me right by the balls right now. I cannot wait for the next uh, act to drop. I am waiting on bated breath. If you've watched the show, I'm sure you're just as excited as I am. One more thing I did want to highlight before I head out of here is the animation and the art design of the show. At first, it's a little jarring. I think a lot of people are going to not give the show a chance because it is kind of computer CGI animated. But the shots that the show accomplishes, uh, it, they're beautiful. It, it's kind of more like paintings a lot of times. The way that you see the characters framing on the screen, it feels like you're looking at an art gallery. But the movement, the pacing of it, the design, it all works really well. 
And once you get through episode one, you'll fall in love with it as well. And you won't even remember the fact that this is supposed to be computer animated. Well, guys, we're going to go ahead and close out here. That was my review, recap, and discussion of Arcane, Act 1, and Act 2. Act 3 is dropping soon. Let me know what you guys thought of the show. What did I forget to mention, you know? In the next discussion, I'll definitely bring it up. And as always, I'm looking for feedback on this, guys. Let me know what you want me to watch. What are you watching? And let me know how I can make this show better for you. But that's going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you, and I love you. And P.S., of course, email me with any feedback. That email is thedshowpod at gmail.com, T-H-E-D-S-H-O-W-P-O-D at gmail.com. If you like the intro at the top, check out Sam Nee. His music is amazing, guys. I love you. Bye.